Welcome to Grumpy GDPR. My name is Miloš Novovic and I'm an Associate Professor of Law at BI Norwegian Business School. All opinions today are entirely my own. And I'm Ria Alexandra Valle from No Ties Consulting. Hi Ria, it's been a while. Hey Miloš, so great to see you again. It's wonderful. Uh, my God, have we had a few very exciting episodes uh, behind us. It's uh, It's been so many different topics we've talked about. Yeah, and it might seem that we're only talking about Google and Helsingør, but we do have a few other episodes and there is more to come. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, uh, you know, at some point we will just have to acknowledge that uh, picking out the topics is actually a bit tricky. So uh, always happy for suggestions. And plus you do such an amazing job uh, finding new and interesting cases on the GDPR hub. So I think uh, I think there is plenty to talk about. Oh yeah, for sure. I think the hub now has over well over 2,000 decisions. So uh, imagine all the juicy stuff that we have missed out on because I do read almost every new decision now, but I didn't start out that way. So <laughs> there are probably some nuggets there. It's almost as if somebody should build an AI to pick out the most interesting ones. Just joking. Obviously, nobody hmm. would be. Would, nobody new would project, dare. Maybe. Let's see. Um, in any case, I think that uh, there is something I want to discuss with you today. And that's, to put it succinctly, how much data is too much data. You know, we measure data in kilograms these days, apparently. So, like, how much data should a data controller be using to um, achieve their purposes of processing? So, we have yeah. had quite a few cases, both here and around the world, right, about data minimization that... You and I were very happy to discuss. Yeah, for sure. And um, as they say, uh, data is the new oil. And I agree, it could be really valuable. But it can also be as uh, greasy, sticky, and with potential catastrophic consequences as oil leakage as well, right? <laughs> now, now that you put it like that, yeah, it's like, why are you saying it's like oil? Like it makes, uh, yeah, it makes it sound really, really bad. Like, are you trying to say it's a bad? Yeah, thing? you should rather say data is uh, is the new water or something because water is uh, turning out to be quite valuable as well. But data is the new oil. It also reminds me of data. Data is toxic, as I've said for <laughs> a couple of years now. I think it's such a myth that the more data, the better. And I heard on another podcast uh, the other day, somebody really defending just collecting as much data as possible because it might turn out to be useful and it's great for innovation. Yeah, and honestly, I can entirely see that mindset. Like, I worked a lot with our business analytics students and I can see that um, on some level, you could argue that um, you can't, like you're not an oracle, like you need sometimes to get like a whole picture or like you sometimes need certain properties to emerge from data, like you don't necessarily know what you're looking for until you find it. And the same thing goes for AI, I guess, if you want to train it to spot certain patterns, you need as much of data as possible. So it's not that I can't relate to that point. It's mostly that I'm questioning, like, is this really the only way it can be done? Yeah, and I think that is such a great point. And I would love to hear what people think about this because so how 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 can we use data? And I think another thing is that 
people just collect data without even thinking about it, but it can be done legally as well. So you see that uh, these projects go into the sandbox, for example, in the Norwegian Datatilsynet sandbox, the ICO has someone and uh, other DPAs as well. So I am convinced that there are ways of uh, getting to the same innovation without breaching all of the all the GDPR articles. Mm. Or at the very least being aware of, um, you know, being able to justify in just like Article 5 sense, why do you need exactly this data? Like just giving it, you know, some basic thought, like, am I ever going to use this? I mean, I do have my hoarding tendencies, like, you know, let me keep um, wristwatch from when I was 10 years old, but like, is it actually ever going to be useful? I feel like you need to do that type of decluttering with data because... As you say, at the end of the day, like if it's not useful, at the very least, what it's doing is like taking you up storage space. So just get rid of it. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of controllers also just or companies in, in general just collect data without giving it proper thought. And that's why I like uh, the record of processing activities, because you are forced to take some stance to what is the purpose of the data that we are collecting. And these thoughts have been so inspired by a few of my recent travels. So last year we went to Spain and every single hotel required my passport. And I argued with every single hotel why it was necessary. So I can show you my passport, but why do you need to take a copy of it? And I was actually going to ask our Spanish audience to let us know whether this is an actual legal requirement, because there is a difference between asking for ID for verification purposes versus having to store that ID uh, for X amount of days uh, or even years for for that uh, as a legal requirement as per national regulations. And I was asked the same when we uh, recently now, I came back uh, yesterday actually from a road trip through Germany. We even spent a night in Austria and the first hotel requested my passport and I just gave them my national, no, it's not national ID. It's a bank card with a, uh, with a picture, which is uh, pretty uncommon outside of Norway as uh, far as I've uh, understood. And that was uh, in the end accepted as well. So mm-hmm. do they actually need those passport copies? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that uh, very often we're being asked uh, to give information which we you know, give away without thinking about it much and which never ends up being used. So I think it's very common to, to breach the data minimization principle. But in my opinion, I think uh, what really makes this tricky is kind of the power of defaults and It can often be, especially in a digital setting, that uh, lots of um, companies and organizations end up using products which kind of have different default settings. And we've seen this in, uh, well, in the episodes I'm not going to mention because we spoke about it so much. But, uh, you know, let us say that uh, there is your favorite local carpenter. Um, who basically opens up a a website, designs it in, um, let's say, Squarespace, WordPress. Like, I I have no idea which service. And there is Mm -hmm. like a default contact form, which includes uh, an address field and fields like those, which they might not need. But again, you know, they're just, they click once and they have a contact form. So uh, those are those tricky situations, I feel, where people don't really reflect on those things. 
That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And I've seen that so many times. And when I order, for example, something that is delivered to me digitally, why do you need my postal address? There's absolutely no reason why you would need it unless it's a specific legal requirement, which I'm not sure is that common anymore. But if I'm going to be sent a PDF uh, to my email address, why would you need my postal address? So I think that just thinking through what is what is the actual purpose of the data that you're collecting uh, will help you to minimize the data you collect. And again, I, I think that data minimization is one of the very key principles because you can prevent so much damage if you don't process a lot of unnecessary data, if you, or rather when you experience a data breach. Mm-hmm. But I, looking at it from the side of uh, records of processing, which you mentioned, I think that uh, there is definitely something to be said about its value, not just uh, in the sense of um, making sure that the data is minimized, but also in bringing the organization together. Because if we think about the you know, the actual methodology of assembling records of processing, you will need to get out there and speak with different parts of organization and make sure that uh, you know that they understand that they are able to explain why they need different data. So I think you've also identified a very, very uh, best approach in doing it, actually getting down on the ground and just asking people, yeah, but why do you need this? Yeah, and that's all necessary, not least to get the uh, the Article 30 together, because sending out a an Excel form or Excel uh, spreadsheet to the entire organization, asking people to fill in everything from categories of personal data to legal grounds for processing is just a a really, really bad idea. Go around and talk to the people where you work to get that information collated in a much more efficient and much better quality manner than just sending out forms and spreadsheets. And because that's what you've been uh, arguing for the whole time, right? The DPO work is not about collecting the forms and asking people to fill in the questionnaires. It's about speaking to people and actually asking them meaningful questions like, oh yeah, I see you have, uh, I see that you're storing, say, uh, email addresses. Like, why do you actually need those? Yeah. Mm. But I think uh, there is another thing to be discussed here in that sense, and that's uh, can over-collection of data actually have negative consequences thinking about uh, your customers or perhaps even the market itself. Because I've um, I've looked into something as part of my uh, research and basically I, I wrote a paper on those App Store labels that you see, for example, on Apple's um, App Store or on Google Play before you download an app, which describes different categories of data that an app is using. It was very interesting to see uh, how developers who make apps actually perceive those, uh, that they simply, once they started having to enter this information into, say, Apple's or Google systems, they they suddenly started reflecting about about these things. And Mm -hmm. it's so very interesting to see that there is actually empirical research which shows that uh, you just need to nudge the people making applications, developing applications into thinking about this at all. Wow, that is super interesting. And before I ask more about that, let me know, Milos, how often do you yourself use those uh, privacy 
labels you call them oh never uh you don't no no, no really <laughs> that because, would be my guess <laughs> um no, uh, not because i have something you know in principle against them i just think that um but again i'm a very opinionated man man they give you categories of data, but not purposes of processing. And then it's meaningless for me to know, yeah, you know, they're using your location. Yeah, but what for? So that's, uh, that's why yeah. I don't know. I actually use them, but, you know, somebody is probably going to arrest me on that, but I'm, I'm not that diligent. It's more of a, um, what do you call it? Like uh, an initial assessment. So it's a quick initial assessment and for that use i think they're brilliant so if you understand uh what it says behind the label so you understand the system then i think it's useful if you can just do that quick initial assessment because if i look at um take linkedin for example the linkedin app if you look at the privacy label for linkedin they are using you can it's such a long 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 list of uh, different categories of personal data and processing and everything that they're going to track. And so it gives me an easy opt-out, if you will. Mm. Yeah, I get that. I, I also get why, um, you know, taking a look at the list of categories of data itself can definitely send a, a strong signal. Actually, there was uh, quite some research around the topic of how the market reacted the first time that those privacy labels were introduced. So uh, it seems that, you know, there was definitely kind of um, an investor reaction to those labels uh, being introduced in the first place. The valuation of certain companies fell down and it was actually shown that there was a statistically significant difference or like a bigger decrease in value of the companies which had very long labels with very long lists of the data they collect. Which once again brings us just uh, full circle back to your definition of data as being toxic. If you're getting too much, uh, it could actively bring down your value in the stock market. Wow, that is, that is very interesting and a bit scary if you're an investor. But I'm just thinking, did the market pick back up again? Because if we look at Zoom, for example, so they've had a few privacy and security related scandals, which uh, affected their uh, value in the stock market. But it uh, picked back up again. So mm. that's uh, with the question that I have now. And I don't know if you have the insights on that uh, with regards to the research that you mentioned. No, so actually, uh, I've only looked into the context of uh, Apple's app uh, labels on the store. But who is super interesting to find out? I'm sure some of the listeners uh, could chime in here. It's, uh, it's a bit interesting to see that there is like an initial market reaction to overusing yeah. data, but that perhaps it evens out. Uh, honestly, I don't understand anything economics related. <laughs> Stock market is still magical to me. Where it's grumpy GDPR, not grumpy economics. Maybe somebody else would have to create that podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, just looking at data minimization, minimization, sorry, as a whole, I think um, I kind of once again have to reflect on what we said about AI in one of the first episodes, maybe even the very first one. Like, you just have to use your common sense. Does this work? Does this make sense to me? And uh, from what I... So perhaps not directly related to data minimization, but wasn't there a case about like a taxi company which stored records of their customers for, what was it, like an insane amount of time in Norway uh, or perhaps in Denmark some years ago? So basically there was a company which uh, more or less never deleted any of the data and to me, storage limitation and uh, data minimization principles kind of go hand in hand. Actually, maybe yeah. all the principles go hand in, uh, 
my God, am I stupid? Obviously, there are principles of processing. <laughs> no, but sometimes like the nuance between uh, purpose limitation and data minimization, like it gets so thin and blurry, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think uh, what I often say to people is that if you really want to understand the GDPR and if you want to start one place, just read Article 5 and really read it. Just don't skim through it, but really read it and try to understand what it says because it's the snapshot of the entire regulation. And I think it's absolutely brilliant, that part of the GDPR. And I often, as I said, uh, talk about data minimization, but also storage limitation, um, especially from a risk perspective perspective because the less data you collect and the more you delete when you don't no longer need it or you have a legal basis for still retaining it the less risk you have on an ongoing basis because it's just with an oil spillage right just imagine what would happen if that data got leaked and one thing is that you, you can't just never collect any data or um, delete everything at all times that's not what I'm saying but just imagine what happens if you have when you have a data breach and what are the consequences and could you have actually deleted or not collected that data in the first place and of course it depends on your business model how much data you collect and for how long you retain it it depends on what legal requirements you have to adhere to so there's a lot of things at play here but I think most companies and organizations could really benefit from thinking this through from the data minimization and storage limitation uh, perspectives. And that's actually a very, very nice way to look at it. Like the less data you gather, the uh, you know, the fewer are the headaches you're going to have about securing them, about data subject rights, about all things, uh, all, all things GDPR related, actually. And it's not just the data yeah. protection issue, right? Um, as I've said, like storage space alone could be a factor here. Costs are going to go up the more data you process. So it's, uh, it's always nice to keep the inventories updated, for sure. Oh, absolutely. And another thing that I just want to mention here before we wrap up is that I think it's a myth that the more data you collect, the more efficient your ads are. And I see a lot of small businesses, they lose huge amounts of money they sp or they spend huge amounts of money on trying to get Facebook ads, for example, to work for their small business. And I absolutely know that some people, they uh, hit it out of the park doing that and they, uh, they have huge earnings on that uh, model. But I think they have a brilliant and big team behind them. And it's uh, a myth that any small business can just gather as much data they, uh, they can possibly get their hands on and then retarget on Facebook and boom, they are millionaires. If that was the case, we wouldn't have those ma that many desperate people on Facebook asking why they can't get this business model to work for them. So... Yeah, mm. I think that's uh, some uh, one takeaway for small businesses uh, as well. Definitely, definitely. I think that you know uh, there there are degrees here to be seen. So for very small businesses, there are problems, as we've said, like they're just going to purchase services exactly like those, like uh, online targeting, without having any real control over that. Or as we mentioned earlier, they could end up using a service with pre-default settings which gather lots of data. And I think they might end up having even less control than big organizations which purposefully end up uh, gathering lots and lots of data. So I think 
I think on that note that we can just say, you know, make sure it actually works if you want to gather this whole bunch of data. Actually, one super quick last question to you. So say that uh, you have a DPO, similar role, and that somebody from the business analytics department comes and says, I want to gather all of this and uh, I need it just in case it becomes useful. Maybe in five years, I'll draw some business insights. You know, hindsight is always 2020. What do you tell them? First of all, I would never start with no, (laughs) which I think uh, uh, some DPOs uh, can take note of, because if you always start with no, nobody's going to come to you with those requests and those are just going to fly under the radar instead, which is not benefiting anyone. So I would absolutely have a really good look at that scenario and involve all the relevant people, get together in a meeting, a small workshop and just see, is this possible? Can we achieve this? And then take one step back to look at what are we actually trying to achieve here? Because sometimes people start with the solution straight off the bat without thinking about the what is the actual need? And can we achieve the same goal by doing different things, trying different scenarios? So maybe we don't have to collect all of this data. Maybe we don't have to collect it and retain it for five years. Maybe there are other ways of achieving the exact same goal. So Again, uh, as uh, we had on our LinkedIn audio event, uh, we talked a lot about culture and communication with great insights from our audience from across the world. And I think that were the two recurring themes, just communication and culture and talking to people, as you said earlier. Yeah. So I'd start there. Mm. Basically, uh, get people to take their time, think through other uh, possible solutions and help them figure out their way. You know what we should do? We should actually maybe develop an app haha, uh, with like privacy mindfulness sessions. You know, you get uh, all the stakeholders to like slowly relax, breathe in, reflect upon which data (laughs) they need. We'll call it privacy space uh, from the Headspace uh, meditation app. Wonderful. Then off we go to work on that. (laughs) And uh, have a wonderful, wonderful week ahead. Likewise. Thank you. And uh, we'll catch up in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.